0: Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer. Buddha at the Gas Pump is an ongoing series of conversations with spiritually awakening people. I've done, I think, about 525 of them now or something. Um, If this happens to be new to you, you haven't seen any of these before, and you'd like to check out previous ones, please go to batgap.com, B-A-T-G-A-P, and look under the Past Interviews menu. This program is made possible by the support of appreciative listeners and viewers. So if you appreciate it and feel like supporting it, there's a PayPal button on every page of the site. My guest today is Sebastian Blaxley. Welcome, Sebastian. Thank you. Sebastian is down in Buenos Aires, Argentina. He is a native of Buenos Aires, and he was born into a large traditional Catholic family. He attended a Jesuit school, of which the headmaster was Jorge Bergoglio, the current Pope Francis. And um, I guess you're kind of friends with him, aren't you? How, you know him pretty well? Yeah. Well, he was part of you know, the institution.
1: And also he had a very close relationship with my father, who was working with him and with the Jesuit organization for more than 40 years. So I I know him quite well. He was the director, you know, kind of the authority for a high school student. So,
0: but I love him. Yeah, he's a wonderful man. We just watched uh, a movie the other night on Netflix called The Two Popes. Anthony Hopkins played the the previous Pope, and it was it was yeah. really good. Okay, although Sebastian wanted to be a monk as a young man, his family did not consider it acceptable and the inner voice that he always obeyed let him know that you must be in the world without being of the world. He studied business administration in Buenos Aires and completed his postgraduate studies in the United States and Argentina. He also attended other studies in England, followed by several highly responsible positions in well-known international corporations living and working in the U.S., England, China, and Panama. He then founded his own corporate consulting firm in Argentina and led it for over 10 years. At the age of six, Sebastian was involved in a near fatal accident during which he heard a voice which later identified itself as Jesus. As I understand it, that accident involved you getting thrown under a train or some such thing?
1: Actually, it was a a car accident in which my mother was driving And I was inside the car with my brothers and sisters at that time. And the train crashed to the car Hit the car, one of my, yeah. And one of my brothers called Peter died
0: in that accident. Oh, I'm sorry. It must've been traumatic. And you were just six at the time. Yeah. So you heard the voice of Jesus. And ever since then, you've been in communication with Jesus. It says, well, let's just read this. Yeah, ever since you've continued to hear that voice, you say, since I can remember, I have felt the call of Jesus and Mary to live abandoned to their will so that despite my various activities, I always put spiritual and religious reality at the center. I'm very devoted to my Catholic faith. So what did the voice of Jesus say when this accident happened? He
1: said to me, don't be
0: afraid,
1: I'm here with you. And that was the only thing that he was repeating and repeating over and over during that moment. And he kept saying that for the next hour or two hours when we were at the hospital. So when he said, don't be afraid, I'm here with you. I felt completely embraced by him. And no fear was possible at that time.
0: So that was exactly what he said to me. And you were a little boy, of course, and you you're being raised in the Catholic tradition. So how did you know it was Jesus? Do you think maybe it was just because you were steeped in Catholicism that you assumed it was Jesus? Or was there a sort of a certainty that this is Jesus?
1: There was a knowledge I knew at that time who was that person. And that person knew perfectly well who I am. The encounter with him was for me. An encounter with someone whom you know from ever and ever, and you just reconnect with that person. The best that I can say is to compare this with a little boy with a, the voice of a mother. He knows it's his mother. that that voice comes from his mother, so I just know that.
0: That's good. Yeah, that's a good example. So in 2013, you began to record messages from your mystical experiences. In 2016, you miraculously discovered a course of love and felt the call to devote yourself to bring it to the entire Spanish-speaking world. Now, a friend of ours who helped to organize this said there's a miraculous story about your discovering a course in love first of all now a course in love is marie perron right whom i've interviewed did she channel that or cognize that yeah marie perron who you interviewed here, yes yes
1: was the first receiver
0: of a course of love yeah but how or why was it miraculous that you discovered it it was out there publicly right
1: well not in this case because um, that was during the Easter time in 2016, I went to the chapel to have my morning prayers, and it's a chapel called for adoration, which means that there is nothing except of yourself and the silence and God um, with your experience. So. There shouldn't be anything except of yourself. But when I went into the chapel, which is a very little chapel close to my house in Buenos Aires, I saw a book, which was very strange for me to see that in that chapel. And the book said A Course of Love. And when I opened the book, I immediately recognized the connection Christ with the voice of Jesus Christ. In that book. And I tried to find the book, but the book was not here. So I went to different stores and tried to get the book, but the the book didn't exist in Spanish. So I started searching and I contacted Taker Publications, which is the the publisher, and uh, Marie Perón, to see where I could find that, because I felt the need to share this for the Spanish-speaking world. And they said it didn't exist at that time. So we worked in the process of with other person called Coralie Pearson. She conducted the translation process and we brought into the Spanish-speaking world the uh, Spanish edition of A Course of Love, and actually, we founded a foundation called Un de Amor for, you know, publishing, editing, and distributing a course of love. So it didn't exist at that
0: time. Okay. So it might be worth, at this point, explaining what a course of love is, and perhaps if there's some relationship between that and a course in miracles, and then how course of love would relate to traditional Christian teaching. Would that be interesting for people to hear?
1: Oh, I think definitely, yes. Because okay, there are a lot of conversations about that. You asked me about why this was miraculous. And one of the reasons is because that experience that I have with that book was exactly the same experience that I have in the same chapel six years ago, before that time, in the same day. In Easter time, with another book in the same situation, and that book was called A Course in Miracle. So, and someone
0: left the book in there and you just yeah, found it there.
1: Yeah. When I found A Course in Miracle
0: many years before, I
1: was really touched by A Course in Miracle and I was walking through my spiritual path through A Course in Miracle for. Almost six years until I found a course of love. And I, I believe there is a completely integration with both revelations. I believe a course in miracle came to help us to heal our mind, and a course of love came to help us to move from our mind to our heart, and to integrate both dimension of what we are. So I think both are part of one thing. It's part of the oneness. So that is one of the reasons why I enjoyed a lot watching your conference about the paradoxes and the contradictions.
0: You're referring I, to a talk that I gave at the Sand conference that I just put up on Batgap the other day. So, so just for context, I'm explaining that that's what you're referring to. Go ahead. Yeah, thank you.
1: And I think it's very valuable because it's all about integration into the oneness. So the voice of love can talk to us from different perspectives and from different realities. and. The Holy Spirit has the capability of talking to us in the way we need to listen to that voice. Because there was one time when Jesus Christ said to me that because he is the voice of love, he can talk to us in any language, in any context, and including our humanity. So, integration, I think, is very important because it talks about union. And I think A Course in Miracles and A Course of Love are a unity.
0: Yeah. It's like A Course of Love was the sequel or something to A Course in Miracles. Yeah.
1: And yeah. I talked with many people about this. And I think if we are open to receive what love wants to give us, then we can get in through different perspectives and angles and part of you. So, some people go from a course of love and then to a course of miracle, and some others go from a course of miracle and then to a course of love. Love is not a sequence. So, we can get in through different perspectives. And I love both. They are very important in my spiritual
0: path. There's a saying in India that when the mangoes are ripe, the branches bend down so that people can pick them easily. Um, And And um, and it sort of relates, I think, to the idea that the divine or whatever we want to call it will provide access or provide teachings that are appropriate to each person you know, based upon their orientation, which means that there are going to be all sorts of different approaches and different teachings and so on that different people will relate to more easily. That's one of the things I said in that talk. I think I used the phrase, God is not a one trick pony, which is a phrase from a Paul Simon (laughs) song. The creator of the vast multifarious universe is certainly capable of providing a variety of of approaches so as to cater to the individual characteristics of each spiritual uh, aspirant.
1: Yeah, definitely. And you, in your question, you ask about how I integrate that into my traditional Catholic mm-hmm. beliefs or uh, spirituality. And something that I learned from my experience and from the revelations that I receive is to receive with my heart. So when you read with your heart, instead of reading with your your, intellectual mind, you can um, receive the books as a true letter of love. And when you receive, let's say the Bible or A Course in Miracles or A Course of Love or the books from Saint Teresa of Avila, just to say, one of the important books for me, um, and you read it with your heart, you know who is talking, and you enjoy the relationship with that voice. And your relationship with that voice transformed you into the oneness with that voice. So it's like a kind of music for your heart. When you read with your heart, I think a course in love, a course of love, helps us to read with our heart. So I I love that. I think it's just God writing a letter for me.
0: Yeah, I, I know what you mean. It's sort of like you can read something and you can intellectualize and like crazy thinking about it and everything, but you can also just kind of settle more into the heart and. Kind of feel the waves of influence that, that wash over you as you read each each passage
1: absolutely, and, and I think you, you used the most important word for me, which is feel yeah yeah uh, Virgin Mary said to me once that the heart is the center of the spirituality so we really need to go to our heart instead of using our intellect, or mind. And
0: in that area, we are all one. Now, I wouldn't say that we have to toss out the intellect, but it has to be more of an integrated thing. We have these various faculties. You know, we have the intellect, we have the heart, we have the senses, and all these things are part of our makeup. But usually people end up being lopsided you know, with one or the other predominating to the exclusion of the others. Thank you for saying that, because that is exactly as you said.
1: We have a mind and we have to honor that and we have to respect it. And we also have a heart so we can think and we can feel and we need to put both in the same level. That's where I believe a course of love and a course in miracle helps
0: you to do that. Let's talk a little bit about who Jesus is and and Mother Mary and, and all that. Everyone has heard of them, of course. Now you have a quote in your book that I copied, which is that, compared to the infinite vastness of the self that spirit is, the material universe is like a small mustard seed at the center of perfect spirit. But the material universe, by ordinary standards, is huge. One third of the stars in the night sky that we can see are within 250 light years of us. And if you take a, a picture of a galaxy and put a little circle where 250 light years is, it's only a tiny little dot. So it's 100,000 light years for the for light to cross the galaxy. And then there are trillions of galaxies. So there are undoubtedly countless trillions of inhabited planets, many of which ha- have. Well, if they're inhabited by fairly highly evolved beings, then there's a spiritual yearning in those beings, in my opinion, because what spirituality is all about is completely universal and timeless. So, I don't know. I know you wouldn't be this way, but sometimes you hear more fundamentalist Christians saying things like, Jesus is the only way, and if you don't go through Jesus, then you're doomed. And you know, and then they they try to argue to support that argument by saying that the universe is only six thousand years old and <laughs> all kinds of crazy ideas. So it might seem like a kind of an intellectual inquiry, but I'm sincerely curious whether you would consider Jesus to be universal in the sense that God Himself is universal, in other words, having jurisdiction over the entire universe or whether Jesus is more of an authority, as it were, for our planet, and there would be other beings like Jesus on other planets throughout the universe.
1: Thank you for asking this question, because this question talks about who God is at the end of the day. And when I started to receive what I received since 2013, the first thing that I listened was I came here to answer the question of who am I? And that voice explained me how important it is to answer that question. Because the way we answer the question of who God is or what God is, is in the way as we are going to have the relationship with us, with the universe and with our brothers and sisters. So um, I think your question is the fundamental question. And moving that question into the figure of Jesus and Mother Mary, for me, they are the incarnation of Christ, So the Christ consciousness, have, let's say, a new step of incarnation in them. And after that moment, in this time, in this dimension of time and space, humanity and the material universe could become the Christ. Like the final step of becoming Christ of the material universe. So after that, we all are able to be Christ in our humanity here and now in the same way as Jesus and Mary did. If one were to become Christ, what would that mean for the person? That means to be one with your true identity, with your true self, which is love. And because love is the fundamental of creation, when you become one with that, which is your source, you become one with everything, which is real. So Christ is love, and love is the fundamental and the essence of everything that exists. And um, Jesus Christ came to, complete, to, let's say, complete the process of becoming Christ, all of us. And in that sense, Jesus is love, as Mer- Mother Mary is. And in that sense, he becomes one with the source of all creations in all dimensions, like you and me.
0: Mm. Um, I have a friend who speaks of, he's an American, but he, he speaks of Krishna in much the way, same way that you speak of Christ. Uh, when he was just... Um, 19 or 20 years old, this being descended from the clouds with a retinue of of celestial beings, and he didn't know who it was at the time, but he had this exchange with him for half an hour, uh, and it was visual, not just auditory, not just in his head. And ever since then, he's had this relationship. He discovered that this was Krishna, and he's had this close devotional relationship with God in that particular form. So, obviously krishna is a hindu deity and in the hindu tradition they tend to honor all the saints and sages and uh, including christ and buddha and, and anybody who seems to have achieved that status and they kind of regard them all as representatives of god or as having achieved union or oneness with you know the ultimate reality with our essential nature and so on they might have their chosen Object of devotion, but they usually don't privilege one over the other. Would you have that same orientation, or what, how would you relate to somebody like Ramana Maharshi or Babaji or Ananda Moima or some of these great sages who seem to be one with God, devotees of God, and so on? What would their relationship to Jesus be?
1: Well, I think, um, I always talk from I, my experience and from what I receive. And I think uh, we are talking about the same thing with those uh, traditions uh, and I agree with them. Uh, I think it's all about names and symbols. Um, so Jesus said to me once, I don't care whether you call me Jesus, you call me brother, you call me father, or you call me your friend, as long as you call me yours. So I think Jesus is the name of, it's a symbol for us, but we need symbols because uh, like you said in your conference, some people say that this doesn't exist and doesn't exist and that doesn't exist, but your experience is that they do exist. In your experience. That is true. So we need to see, understand and have symbols, which in other words means to make God human. So the union of God and our humanity is what Jesus means for me. And of course, other traditions have the same experience and the same knowledge, but they use different names. And I'm okay with that.
0: I agree. I completely agree with those traditions. That's a good answer. And it's worth noting or emphasizing what you just said, which is that pure abstract divinity is abstract. And we, as human beings, we need a focal point of attention. So traditionally, throughout so many different cultures, there have been ways in which people have made something somewhat concrete of universal, unmanifest div- divine intelligence so as to be able to f- engage with it, it, you know, in a personal manner through using their, their senses and their their heart and, you know, something we can actually focus on. And that has taken many forms. But there's a line from the incredible string band whom you're probably too young to remember, but it was, light that is one, though the lamps be many.
1: Yeah, and that is absolutely true. So it's all about our humanity. Of course, God loves our humanity. The key message here is to accept our humanity and to integrate it into love. So uh, God, of course, loves our humanity and it is okay to have our limited understanding as human beings and integrating that to the huge dimension of what God is. So going back to your conference, when you talk about the paradox, here we have a paradox that we can integrate and accept. We are everything, but at the same time, we are who we are. So when I asked Jesus, what does it mean to be Christ? He said to me, if Christ wouldn't uh, that doesn't exist, you wouldn't have an identity. So Christ is the identity of your being extended by God. So the fullness of God becomes limited in your Own identity. And we love to be in that way. Sometimes the problem we have is we don't accept our limits because we believe they are limits, but they are not. They are one expression of love. Our uniqueness
0: is really, really holy. That's really interesting. In your book, you say, Now we are the observer, the observed, and the relationship between them. We are the creator, the created, and the relationship between them. We are one and triune. What that evoked in me was just the notion that if God is really omnipresent, then there is no place where God is not, and there is nothing which is not God. And although from our limited perspective, it may appear that you know God is hidden or doesn't exist or is only here but not there— but what is actually happening is that is God having that limited perspective, having chosen to squeeze the ocean into a drop, as it were.
1: That's a very interesting. and uh, Thank you for putting this in this way. If you read the first part of the book, when Jesus Christ uh, introduces the book, the first book of choose Only Love, he says what you are saying now. He says, there is no place where I'm not. And he gives some kind of poem telling where he is to let us know that there is no place where love is not. The interesting thing here is that the difficulty that we find most of the time about finding God is because we don't look for him inside our soul, inside our heart. So if we think about having someone hidden, we are going to look for him outside ourselves. But what happens if the person who you are looking for is inside you and you are looking for somewhere else? So that's what Jesus said to me once. you don't find me because you don't look
0: within the only place where I am, which is you. Yeah, I like that point. I mean, where's the easiest place that you're going to find something that is omnipresent? Well, it would be right where you are. (laughs) So, I mean, you could look off on Alpha Centauri or something like that, but actually God is as much right here as there. So why not start with here? And then maybe later on, you'll find them in Alpha Centauri. (laughs) That's what the traditions always say, that God is most readily and directly found within one's heart, at least initially.
1: Right. And going beyond that, Jesus said to me, I gave you the eyes to look, which means for you that if you want to find me, look at your brothers and sisters. Understanding that God is everything uh, brings me to understand that Christ is in you and that's the place where I can find it. So um, I believe it's very important to walk through the path of finding Christ in our brothers and sisters.
0: Yeah. You know, one thing that always strikes me is holiness or divinity or God or all that can be felt within, yes, but it's also in a sense it can be seen in the world and as if God is hiding in plain sight. When you think what we're actually looking at, when we look at a, a butterfly or a grain of sand or a single amoeba under a microscope or anything that we look at, we're looking at this marvel of creativity and um, intelligence on display. And it's, it's just there all around us in every particle of creation as far as we could imagine, you know, out through the universe. So it's like there's this ocean of God, ocean of intelligence, and we're like fish swimming in it. And it's really quite obvious if we think of it that way. And it seems to me that would ripen or mature into a much more palpable perception over time it won't just be sort of an intellectual thing where you imagine how amazing a cell is but there would just be this constant appreciation of everything that you apprehend
1: right so i think that that brings me to the concept of contemplation so observing from the eyes of love is for me contemplation and we look at everything through the contemplation We can find and experience that wonders that you are talking about. So we can be in an attitude of discovering every single minute of our life, the, the miracles of life, the mystery of life. And once you have that way of watching everything, observing everything from the contemplation standpoint, you really can experience the vastness of this intelligence. And I found myself saying, how could God create something like this? Looking at the bird or different way of expression. And you really
0: start enjoying creation. Yeah, you do. I saw a cartoon the other day. It had a a mother bird and a baby bird sitting on a wire. And the mother bird said to the baby bird, you are the universe thinking you're a bird. (laughs) 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 A few questions came in. This is from Rose Gannon in Bluebell, Pennsylvania. A Course of Love talks about the elevated self of form. How would you describe that in your experience?
1: I think it's uh, what we talked before. The elevated form that is talking A Course of Love is about being Christ in our humanity. We are a new humanity. And I'm not talking as a master saying something that others don't know. I'm just talking about what Jesus said to me. We are now living as a new humanity. Human is not the same 10,000 years ago and now. We have different human beings even though we are all human beings. The new human being is the human God, the human Christ. So the elevated form is the integration of all of our humanity into Christ. So the question is, how am I going to express the Christ that I am?
0: And the answer is?
1: It goes to to the free will. I mean, in your conference, you started, you opened the conference saying, uh, giving the example of some people believing there's no free will. And I was thinking about that and what I understand is the free will is just about expressing love or not. It's just about our relationship with love or not. How we respond to love. So there is a relationship between the creator and the creation. So the question is not how much God loves me or whether God has a relationship with me or not. The question is which kind of relationship I would have with him. And that's my uniqueness. The answer is my uniqueness. Everyone responds in a different way to the same
0: question. So, in other words, the responsibility is on us to form the kind of relationship that would really be meaningful. It's not just, we we can't just sort of do whatever the heck we please and expect God to do it for us. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you linked the subject about free will and responsibility you get the example of God going to the jail because you, you did something wrong. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, in which other words, uh, I, I was saying, if a person might say, well, I have no free will and everything is, that I do is just automatic and it's the will of the divine. And therefore, if I rob this store, it's the divine robbing the store. And then I said, okay, well, then it's going to be the divine going to jail also.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I love that, that comparison. So you relate it. Free will with responsibility. If we think about responsibility as the ability to respond instead of being in charge of something, our ability to respond, for me, is the meaning of free will. So we all respond in one way or another. As you said in the beginning, I come from a large family. I have 15 brothers and sisters, which is a lot. Yeah, and I had the opportunity to see in the same family, same mother, same father, completely different way of responding to the same facts. So it's interesting to talk with my brothers and sisters because they see a different mother or a different father that I see. And I understood that our memory, our mind and our heart, make something with what we receive, and we respond. So the elevated form, as it's said in, in, in the course of love, for me, is the Christ we are has to be expressed, and the, the answer is how we will express it.
0: Okay. Yeah, so we're we're talking about free will and, and that one has a choice. And in my experience and observation... We don't have a complete free will to do anything. I can't play basketball like LeBron James if I feel like it. So (laughs) there's a certain limitation that we have. And we have have a certain amount of wiggle room that we can move in one direction or another. And certain choices lead to greater freedom, and other choices lead to greater bondage. It's like, you know, you want to go from Chicago to New York. Well... If you start heading west, you're going in the wrong direction. You're getting farther from New York. But if you start heading east, then you're getting closer to New York. So it's kind of a matter of choice which way you choose to go.
1: Yeah, but actually, there was a time in which I received a lot of information and I was confused. And I asked Jesus, how can we handle different beliefs, different ideas, different uh, theories and which of them are true. And he said, the way to avoid confusion is to bring all discernment into love. Because for him, everything is about love or a lack of love. So he says to me that we are absolutely free because we are free to choose only love or not every single minute. No matter whether we go to play soccer or uh, basketball or whatever, we can do that with love or with no love, And those are the only options we have because free will is all about choosing love or not.
0: Now, it seems that there have been sort of supermen of love, as it were. You know, people who have just such huge capacity for loving and huge hearts and, and others, you know, not so much just um, very shrunken hearts. I don't know if a person could go from being a little league level love to professional level love in just one shot, it would take some time for the heart to unfold and develop and soften and so on. Would you agree with that? Or is it possible for a person who is has been living a very dark negative life to suddenly be blossomed fully in love?
1: Yeah, I believe it is absolutely possible because love is truth. And being love is living by the truth. And it's living by the truth of who you are right now. And when we are honest with ourselves and we are connected with what we are being right now, And we are being loved because love is what we are. So how can I live by the truth every single minute of my life? And Jesus said to me, accepting who you are here and now and expressing that. Every time that you express yourself as you are, you are expressing love. So no matter whether you are in the dark stage of your life or you believe you are in the darkness, if you connect with that darkness and you express that, you are living by the truth. So you are being loved. So love is not something that we do. It's, uh, it's just what we are. So it's all about identity, Rick, and uh, what I'm trying to say. So every time
0: that you are being who you are, you are being God. Yeah. I know there are examples of people who underwent rather sudden transformations. St. Francis was one. Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, you know, on the road to Damascus, all of a sudden he, he got zapped and underwent this huge shift. Valmiki, who wrote the Ramayana, was a highway robber, and um, he met some sages and who instantly sort of inspired him, and it, he sat and meditated for six or seven years but then came out a saint so people can undergo profound and radical transformations usually i think most people it's it's a little bit more slow and incremental and gradual as they kind of purify their being but it can happen quite suddenly
1: yeah that is also very interesting what you what you say because there are eagles and there are also Flylights. And Jesus said to me, You are not called to be the sun shining, but the flylight.
0: Flylight is like uh, a small light?
1: Uh, yeah, like the small light which are, you know, flying in the darkness. They are tiny, small.
0: Oh, like I think so I think they, you mean like the fireflies, the little bugs that fly yeah, around. Yeah, okay, gotcha. I'm sorry.
1: I'm sorry. That was
0: because of my English. Yeah, you
1: are right. Those creatures, those beings, have lights but they are small beautiful holy and then there are big stars and the same happens with birds there are eagles there are small birds and jesus calls me as his honeybird, so he doesn't want me to be an eagle so there are people who have such a great transformation and made very great things and they become celebrities in some way. But most of the time, we don't need that. We just need to be who we are, as simple as we are, and to love our tiny way of being, being like a drop within the ocean. Because Jesus said to me, even if you write a book, that becomes, a, let's say, a bestseller or one of the greatest books in this time, how much people you will contact compared to the whole universe. It's nothing. And he, he said, and he said to me, even if you write a book that can go to every single person in this world, that means nothing compared to all the creatures b- because Everyone are my sons and daughters, including dogs, birds, the wind, and everything. So you are called to integrate everything into the totality. So I don't believe, let's say in a different way. When I understood that, when I received that revelation, I started to feel happy with not being Such a wonderful person, I'm supposed to be, or such a, you know, making such a big transformation. Virgin Mary said once to me something that I would like to share now, which is when you prepare the breakfast for your daughters because of love, you are being God. So it's not about doing great
0: things, it's about doing whatever you do with a lot of love. That's good. If we could use an analogy, if you think of God as sort of the electrical supply, the electrical field, then in your house, you might have a little nightlight, which it gives you, which serves a very valuable purpose in the middle of the night when you have to get up to go to the bathroom or something. And then you might have a spotlight out in the yard that's really bright and it lights up the whole backyard. And you have your TV and you have all these different things that are plugged into the electrical field and that express that electricity in different ways that are appropriate given their particular function. And you wouldn't want the TV on in your bedroom all night, or the the spotlight it's shining in your bedroom all night. You just want the, the nightlight, and that it, it does its thing. So we could say each of us is like an appliance that's plugged into the field of God, and we each serve our own particular function, and it's just right for us. It's it's not somebody else's function; it's our function, and, and that's the best way we can serve God. Yeah, and the beauty is being who you are.
1: So Jesus called me during this process of receiving and writing a pencil in the hand of God. And that is the expression that I use a lot because it reflects what I am. A pencil is nothing without a hand. And it's completely meaningless if there is not a mind moving the pencil to share something. Maybe there are some other people who are computers or something much bigger than a pencil. But in my case, I'm a pencil, and I love to do that. And I learn how to love
0: my uniqueness. Nice. Now, I'm curious, and I bet you other people are curious. Many, many times so far in our conversation, you've said, well, Jesus told me this and, and Jesus told me that. What is the actual subjective experience you're having when you communicate with Jesus like that? And I presume it's a two-way conversation. You've also said, I, I asked him this question and he answered that. So can you describe in some detail what your inner experience is when you're having these communications? Yeah, the relationship with Christ is a relationship
1: and we can grow With that relationship as we grow with any other relationship so once we go more and more united to christ we can listen to his voice more and more clearly and at the end of the day we can integrate that voice and that voice can absorb everything that we are so we can listen to him 24 hours a day every day, with no interruptions with your activities. I would say, just to use some example, that for me, listening to the voice of Christ is like a tape recorder. Like you push some one button and then you listen. And if you don't want to listen, you just pause it. Something like
0: that. So earlier in, the, in our conversation, you said, it's like when Jesus spoke, first spoke to you, it's like, It was familiar because it was like a a long-term relationship, the way if your mother all of a sudden started speaking to you and you hadn't, like if my mother died years ago, but if if all of a sudden she started speaking to me, I think, oh yeah, that's my mother, very familiar, I know who that is. Is it like a voice in your head that comes? Is there any visual component? Or is it just um, kind of a, a deeper, more intuitive feeling that you... Translate into words in order to make it intelligible to others:
1: All of them so sometimes the communications comes into words from mind to mind, so sometimes I have visions, and I see Jesus with his body, in his humanity, and I can read perfectly well in my mind all his thoughts. It's like he's thinking in my mind. So there is um, a clear communication from mind to mind. And sometimes it happens just from heart to heart. And sometimes that happens without any physical vision. It's like talking with you, but if I close my eyes, I know you are there and you can talk to me and I, I listen to you. And sometimes it comes to my intuitive Part of my soul and touch that and gives me more creativity. Something that I really would like to say here is that Jesus Christ loves us. And as much as we open our heart, as much as He gets into our life, and He will finally talk to us in all the ways possible. Sometimes if you need to receive a letter saying something, you will receive that. And uh, that is very important to say here. There are many times in which he says to me clearly, I will talk to you through this person or through this other person. And he does to let me know that Christ also talked to us through our friends through our families, through our brothers and sisters, and also through different circumstances.
0: Well, we were talking about earlier about how everything is God and every little particle of creation is God. So it would seem to me that the whole creation is constantly talking to us, so to speak, communicating. Or It's pregnant with meaning and significance. It's not just dumb rocks and stuff. Right, because we have
1: times, he says to me, you will know this or that. And I said, how am I going to know that? And he just says, you will know that. And then you do. And you do, and, and you receive the answer in infinite ways. So I think God can talk to us in every single way. Using everything, even, even your illness. That's very important. You can find the voice of Christ with your suffering. I say this because I uh, listen to some people saying that once you are connected to God, suffering is gone away or something like that. And illness sometimes is seen like a, a lack of spirituality or elevated form or something like that. Or you're being and I don't punished believe, or something like that. You're right. Yeah. And I don't believe that. Most of the time, Jesus talked to me in the most deepest and lovely way during my illness that I have a lot.
0: Yeah. I mean, again, if the whole universe is God, if it's all that the the divine in appearing to have taken form, then everything in the universe and everything that happens has some kind of evolutionary agenda, some evolutionary significance, if we can see it. Mm or even if we can't see it, I'm just asserting a thing that I often think, but just to put a cap on that point. Here's a question that came in from John in Texas, and um, Texas is famous for fundamentalist Christianity. John's question is, one of the things that has stopped me from total acceptance of Jesus is the dogma which, over time, has grown out of the book of Revelations. It's so beautiful and natural to accept Christ as the embodiment of the love of God and as source, it is not so easy to accept the idea of the unforgiving nature of Jesus presented in Revelations. It seems impossible to reconcile divine, unconditional love and the threat of everlasting hellfire.
1: What I would say is that we are talking about love and we are talking about relationship. So, I watched many videos of your interviews rick and i love them and i saw that sometimes you ask about who god is and those kind of questions and i think it's very important to move from our mind to our heart to have the experience of the relationship with jesus christ so what i would say to john is Keeping your own relationship with him, it's a relationship of love. It's a relationship which is unique as any other relationship. So once you have the experience of love, you don't need others to tell you who that person
0: is. Because you experience that. So what would you say to these people that say, well, you know, you're going to burn in hell because you're gay or because you did this or because of that, that has turned people away, in many cases, from Jesus and from Christianity because they just don't like that dark and scary perspective. They can't conceive of God behaving or treating people that way.
1: Yeah, actually, John used the right word, saying dogma. Yeah, yeah. Dogmatism separates. So... Beliefs can separate. That is why I always go back to our heart, to our feelings. In my heart, I would never conceived even the idea of a divine love punishing anyone. That's something that I feel. And of course, some people say that uh, punishment can exist. And what I say to them is, well, that's their belief. I don't feel that. I feel love and I feel that I was created to be loved and everyone was created to be loved. And that's what we are going to do as much as we are united to Christ. I don't believe in punishment. I don't believe in anything different than happiness within love.
0: You know, if a child, let's say, has dirt behind his ears and the mother scrubs it with a washcloth, the child might feel like, I hate this, she's punishing me, And I stop doing that. But the mother loves the child and is concerned for the child's welfare. So in a theme that we have touched upon a number of times now, you know, I would say that if we can personify God, God wants everyone to rise to the highest status of evolution possible. And that everything that happens is actually in the service of that, even though it may not seem like it. Absolutely. And I,
1: again, thank you for pointing this, because there was once when Virgin Mary said to me, you are my son, I'm your mother, and I have the right to be with my son. So when I asked her, how should I live my life? She said, as a baby in the arms of a mother. And when you think that we are babies in the arms of God, in the arms of our divine mother, that is very helpful to understand our relationship with God. And she explained me clearly well, that sometimes mother goes with the baby to the doctor and gives some medicine that the baby doesn't like. However, it's the best for the baby. So she used the same example as you are using now. And I think that you are absolutely right. Sometimes the issue is our interpretation. We believe it's a punishment, but it's a, a, a grace, actually, for us.
0: And many people end up saying that, you know, they're they're going through some terrible thing and they don't like it. And then later on, they think, you know, I wouldn't have chosen to do it any differently. For instance, I interviewed this guy named Damian Eccles, who was unjustly accused of murder and spent 18 years in prison, much of it in solitary confinement. And it was a really horrific experience in prison. But he managed to survive it by going deeply into a spiritual practice, which was meaningful to him. And now, I mean, now his eyes are ruined and his teeth are ruined and everything just because of the the, the darkness and the poor food and all that stuff. But he says, you know, if I had it to do all over again, I would, because I wouldn't have had the opportunity to go so deeply into that, into that spiritual practice if I had just been living an ordinary life.
1: Yeah. I heard about him and that's a perfect example of what we are talking about. So love will do anything to bring us into his heart and God knows us and he knows we can, he knows how powerful we are. Um, so one of the things that we do is we, um, we believe in us as, as powerless people, but we are not, we are not. So love can never bring you something that uh, will hurt you. That That brings me to the experience of trust. Trust and love for me, are part of the same thing. It's part of the a unity. Yeah. So it's all about trusting
0: love. And you grow to trust your mother, even though sometimes it just doesn't seem like she's doing what you like. But over time, you, you gain a trust because you know where her heart is. You know how she feels about you.
1: Yeah, and we need to trust. We really need to trust to be happy. So I would say if we trust love, we will never interpret anything from the part of your of punishment or something like that. So going back to what Virgin Mary said once to me, she said, live your life as I did when I was in the earth, which is living with unlimited trust. And that's a wonderful way of understanding our life. If we trust, with unlimited trust, we will never think about punishment and hell or something like that.
0: Yeah. Here's a question that came in from our friend Muffy Weaver in North San Juan, California. And um, I think we could relate this to what you were just saying about trust. She asks, how have you balanced being in the world with your spiritual life, such as with family, business, and things like that? I would thank for this question again, because
1: we began this interview saying that the voice of Christ said to me when
0: I was young that I had to be in the world without being of the world. Which, in case people don't know, that's a line from the Bible also, be in the world but not of it.
1: Right. And I would say that once we understand who we are and that we are love and love is Christ. Everything in this experience is integrated into love. So, family is a place where I can express love. Friendship is a place in which I can receive and give love. And this world is a perfect world in which I can give and receive love because what Virgin Mary said to me once was, you cannot love what you do not see if you don't love what you do see. So, Say that again. You yeah. cannot
0: love what you don't see if you don't love what you do see. That's the way you said right. that. That's interesting. Right. So
1: how can I express myself if I'm love loving you? and being open to receive love from you. So I believe this world is a wonderful world that gives me an opportunity to receive and give love every single minute with my family, friends, and humanity. And love sometimes takes the way of forgiveness. So families sometimes gives you a great opportunity to forgive, and when you forgive others, you can't forgive yourself. So they are a gift
0: for me. It's very interesting. I mean, there are people in this world who make a big fuss about how much they love God or they love Jesus and all. And yet they don't seem to love people <laughs> or they don't seem to behave in, in loving ways always. Some people, I'm not saying all people. So I think that's a very poignant little phrase, you cannot love what you don't see if you don't love what you do see. Right, and going back to our conversation when we said that
1: I need to see the Christ in you to find the Christ in me, I can start understanding that God is my family, my friends, my neighbors, the natures that I have, and even the society that I have. So, I can express compassion with others and with me as well as part of the of this world. So heaven begins here and now with our reality. It's as simple as our reality. Cooking by love, talking by love, doing this just for love and doing everything for love here and now. And then we can keep going forever and ever. Because one of the question is, if we don't love here, why are we sure that we are going to love in the kingdom of love?
0: Yeah, good point. Here's a question that came in from Elliot Robertson. Not sure where Elliot is located, but it says, a course of love begins by saying, this course was written for the mind, but only to move the mind to appeal to the heart. Could you provide an example of how our minds can appeal to the heart? Well, I believe an example is when we start experiencing
1: that there is no discrepancy between our heart and our mind. And if there is a discrepancy, we follow our heart until that discrepancy disappears. So that's what I believe that expression is all about. Sometimes there are discrepancies. We feel something that we want to do, but our mind says not. And we have to solve that discrepancy. And if there is no way to integrate that, we, have to, we should follow our heart. And that's the meaning of bringing
0: our mind into our heart. For me. Good. Um, Here's a question on education from Catherine in San Jose, Costa Rica. For the most part, educational systems around the world develop rational faculties with a little bit of artistic and physical education, but they forget about the heart. How can the heart be educated? Or at least, how can we learn to open our hearts? This is
1: something That we cannot learn like um, teaching or something, like going to school. I would say that the way of learning that is practicing it. Because God is all about experience. So we need to practice feeling, accepting our feelings, and letting our feelings to conduct our decisions. So that's what I would say, just practicing it.
0: Yeah, it gets cultured more and more over time, and also you talked about trust earlier. It seems to me we can not only trust God but trust our own heart to be a, a reliable guide in life.
1: Yeah, we, which also needs to be practiced.
0: Yeah, I yeah. mean, we we know
1: how to trust when we practice trust, and same happened with love. That's why the "Choose Only Love" book that was recently published talks about healing the memory. Practicing brings us to our own experience here and now with our humanity. And that has the power of bringing us that what we forgot. So we all know what love is, but we forget about that. And we actually forgot. So it's all about remembering and practice allows us to remember and remember, so that becomes an habit.
0: Good. And so what would be a good way of practicing? What are some examples? For instance, people practice meditation or they practice yoga or they, they go to church or they pray or they do different things. What would be a recommended practice here? Loving. Practice
1: love. Love everything. Love everything that arises in you. Everything. There is a chapter in Choose Only Lab that talks about that practice that says this is not about practicing some particular way of praying or meditations or reading or that kind of practicing, which is related to education, because education, it's all about practicing and repeating different acts to to become habits. What we are talking about here is practicing unconditional love. Trust in everyone, even if there is no reason to trust, just trust
0: them. Well, since, since she asked about education, I mean, here's a good example, which is that kids in school can be very mean to each other. There's a whole problem with bullying. Sometimes kids actually commit suicide because they've been bullied so much. I remember when I was a kid in grammar school, I would sometimes befriend the nerdy kids Maybe I was one myself. But if, if somebody was being picked on and, and I'll, I would actually make that person my friend and hang around with them because I felt sorry for them or something. And I was kind of a nerdy kid too. So maybe it was birds of a feather. But if kids were to hear this, they would think, yeah, you know, I mean, what, not only what does it do to these, this person in school who I pick on because he looks different or has his hair a certain way or whatever, but what does it do to me? because i think if we mistreat somebody we may hurt them but it's like a it's like a knife that doesn't have a handle and it's sharp on both ends it's all knife you know we might stab somebody but at the same time we cut our hand so we we get injured as much or even more than the person that that we're hurting right and if we understand that we are
1: here to grow in our knowledge of love in our knowledge of who we are, which in other words means our knowledge of God. That experience of bullying or whatever the experience we have, which can hurt me or others, has to be integrated into love. Maybe that shows me how cruel I am with others. And that gives me an opportunity not to be selfish and arrogant and for other person that situation can give the opportunity to grow in forgiveness and you gave a great example about schools which is something we can see all over the world having you know violence and that kind of uh, situation and i believe that is because there is no love we need to move our education system into love as everything, including the business world and any other human aspect. Schools don't teach you love because they don't bring you to the practice of love most of the time. And we are facing the effect of that. If we have an education system in which we only give information but we don't allow people to find wisdom people get tired and alienated and suffering
0: yeah there was a story on the news about a month ago where some kid who had been bullied and picked on brought a shotgun into school and He went into the, I guess, into the the bathroom, into the men's room, and maybe he was only going to shoot himself, but who knows what he was going to do. But anyway, this coach encountered him, and rather than be violent in some way, he just took him in his arms and hugged him, and he kept hugging him. And then some other teacher came and took the gun away, and he just kept hugging the guy, even after the gun was taken away, and just telling him how much he loved him, and how much, how special he was, and all that stuff. And... This guy was praised on the news for that particular reaction. But, you know, it could have been a very different outcome, but he somehow turned it around with love.
1: Absolutely. I I think you gave a a great example. That boy needs the experience of love. So So what is happening in that case is, and in any other case of violence, is that there is a lack of love somewhere. And we can heal that, uh, showing our love. To them so i hope love will become to be the most
0: powerful weapon we use for the future when i think of love you could think of a scale or a spectrum of refining and softening the heart or coarsening the heart making it cruder and grosser and harder and you can kind of move in either direction on that spectrum and according to what you do. I mean, there are certain things which if we do or say, it's going to make our heart harder. In fact, in in the Bible, it often says, well, you know, the Pharaoh was going to let the Israelites go, but he hardened his heart, and then he changed, you know, he he wouldn't let them go. So, there's that expression of hardening the heart before doing something mean. And I think doing mean things actually does harden the heart, whereas doing something compassionate or loving softens the heart. So, We were saying earlier about whether you could go from being extremely hard-hearted to a saint overnight, Eh, maybe not so common, but you can at least move in that direction by doing and behaving in a way that, that cultures the heart or refines it. Right. What brings to
1: me now with your reflection is that there was a very important knowledge and understanding in my spiritual path uh, that changed everything in my life um, which was to understand that I was created to be loved. I was not even be created to love because love extends by itself when it comes to me. So we have been created to receive love and if we receive that then love extends by itself. So the experience of receiving true love, pure love, transforms your life into love. So it's all about receiving love. So that boy that you gave as an example, as as well as many other people in in violence uh, situations, um, are asking for love. For having the the experience of love, so um, we we need to have that experience and go back to that. And I think the violence goes up and up um, as a
0: shout of cry for love. love. Yeah, yeah. Bye. I'll give another nice example. That- December has been a month in which I haven't been preparing for interviews because I've been airing ones that were already recorded. So I've got a chance to watch some things and read some things that I ordinarily wouldn't have. And I just watched a series called um, College Behind Bars, which was about these um, prisoners in New York State who um, were offered a college education by Bard College while still in prison. And the, the teachers were very respectful and loving. And it was remarkable how good these guys and women were as students. Many of the teachers were saying they were better than their regular students back in, at the college. And they ended up at one point having a debate with the Harvard debating team, and they beat them. They won the debate. So, and here's here's people who grew up in ghettos and very unfortunate circumstances and broken families and all this stuff, who just totally blossomed when given an enriching opportunity like that.
1: I'm very familiar, Rick, with what you say, because one of the activities that I do is to go uh, to conduct a prisoner's group every Wednesday and Saturday. Um and I go to the largest prison uh, here in Buenos Aires, um, and I share a course of love and uh, whatever we do in our uh, foundation. And um, I have the same experience that you mentioned before. Um, they, uh, they are really happy to receive love. That, that's all we need, uh, just love. So, um, and love is, something that is beyond words. Um, They say to me many times that they feel love because of my presence, even more than because of what I say or not, because they said, you take a long trip to come here. You are never absent. You have a commitment with us. So we feel that we are important to us, to you. And we need to feel that. So it's all about love. I I absolutely believe in that. We can heal everything with love.
0: And it's worth mentioning that these students who took the college courses, they have a a 4% recidivism rate, meaning going back to prison after getting released, compared to about a 50% rate in the general prison population. So it makes a huge difference. So when you consider how much is spent on keeping people in prison, and the United States has the highest per capita imprisonment of any country in the world. If that money were spent to actually do something that enriches the people, um, then we could kind of have a lot fewer prisons and, and prisoners. I don't think this is a tangential point because it, it's a it's a concrete demonstration of love to do something that helps a person rather than merely punishing them.
1: Right. Definitely. So how to integrate them into society, how to make people feel useful and needed and how make others to feel how important they are and how beautiful they are. Uh, So we need to go back to our original stage of innocence and holiness and show others Uh, that part of the side. That's what for me is the meaning of the Christ in you, is all which is holy in
0: you. Yeah. Um, A question came in from Glenn Hoverman from Nevada City, California. He asks, um, please explain how your book Choose only love was received by you. And before you answer that, um, I wanted to ask, many chapters in the book are subtitled, A Message from the Voice of Christ Through a Choir of Angels in the Presence of Archangel Raphael and Archangel Gabriel. We haven't talked about that yet. So, we've been talking about communicating with Jesus, but there's something, it seems like most of the passages in your book were received from the voice of Christ, but through a choir of angels, and in the presence of the archangels Raphael and Gabriel. So please explain that. Right. Um,
1: When I started receiving Choose Only Love, the first experience that I had was that um, I received a presence uh, suddenly, and that presence, full of love, introduced himself as the medicine of God. And he said to me, I'm the medicine of God and came here to ask you to pray, what I'm going to tell you to pray for nine days. And I did it uh, without asking anything. And um, after that, uh, I started receiving, um, the day after I finished the nine days of praying, I started receiving the experience of a core of angels coming to me uh, with uncountable amounts of angels singing and bringing beauty and bringing with them the voice of Christ. Then comes to me images and music that is transformed into symbols by archangels. Raphael, Archangel Raphael was the manifestation that was introduced himself as the medicine of God. So true, uh, only love came to me in that way. So uh, it always comes the court of angels and uh, shows me uh, magnificence and beauty of creation. And after that, the voice of Christ start. Um, talking in my soul in a language which is not words, it's music, Uh, but my mind understands the meaning and then I translate all of that into words and Archangel Raphael is with me, dictating me what has to be translated and how. So that's the way it comes to me.
0: I'd like to make a point, if, if some people are experiencing a bit of incredulity about archangels and angels and, and all of this, one way of understanding this is just that, you know, you could think of creation as being like an ocean where you have the surface level of the waves, which is obvious, but then there are deeper levels of the ocean, which are not obvious. So there are subtler realms of creation which are just as real as the concrete realms that we experience in daily life, Um, but ordinarily we don't experience them because we have either lost or not gained the capacity for that refined perception. But in the course of spiritual evolution, sometimes or perhaps always eventually, that capacity is regained or is awakened and a person may begin to experience these things. In fact, you know, I know people who experience them. Well, you're, you're one apparently, but others who experience them just as routinely as walking through the mall or uh, walking down the street. It's like it's, it's as if you, you kind of become a to use the ocean analogy again. You become like a scuba diver who is comfortable with exploring every level of the ocean, and um, you know you become it becomes a direct experience for you rather than merely a concept. So anyway, hopefully that puts it more in context.
1: I think it does. I think the analogy with the ocean is perfect because once we go um, deeper and deeper no? uh, in the ocean, everything is different because we have different lights and different beings and we see more
0: more and more. So I agree with, with what you said, Rick. Yeah. <clears throat> When I'm doing these interviews, I often sort of think of who might be listening and I often get feedback later sometimes from people who are listening. And so I try to think of, OK, what point can we make here that would you know, connect with this or that yeah. person?
1: Yeah, I know. But, and what I would like to say here is the experience itself is not essential, although it is important because it gives us the opportunity to understand what is essential here is love. So the love that is put into those words and to bring you to have your own experience of the divine love.
0: Okay, Good. You mentioned this earlier, and I want to come back to a point where you say, the main message of this work is that the time for a new humanity has arrived. Humanity is ready to manifest the living Christ in each of us. We are, each of us, Christ. Um, well, first comment on that, and then I'll ask you a question. Go ahead. Go Even, ahead. Uh, yeah, you could, mean make, my, my comment? Yeah, say something about that, and then I'll have okay. I have a question for you.
1: Yeah, uh, as I said before, we are in, in the stage of a new humanity. Uh, so the new is already here, and that's why we are facing a lot of transformation. Everything is being transformed because of the new... Uh, consciousness, this new humanity, and this humanity is um, humanity united to Christ. So we are all called to express the Christ who we are, and that's the meaning of the second advent based on what choose only love wants to say.
0: Well, you remember earlier, John from Texas referred to Revelations, and Revelations is very symbolic and cryptic and hard to understand, but there are parts in it which sound like things are going to get pretty wild around here. (laughs) And then, you know, there are people, Extinction Rebellion is a movement that feels like human extinction is a a real possibility, and there are various environmentalists who say, I mean, there's one guy, for instance, I listened to recently who said that even if all people were to disappear from the earth tomorrow the sea levels are still going to rise 20 or 40 feet over the remainder of this century, which would, since the people aren't going to disappear, would result in huge upheavals of of society and of economies and, and all this stuff. So um, does the birthing of a new humanity involve a period of great chaos and disruption? And are we entering into that now? And um you know, what in your communications with Christ, what kind of messages come through about that? Thank you for pointing this out, because um, there are a
1: lot of messages that I receive saying something quite different than what is listened uh, now about the chaos or, or that. Um, Jesus said very clearly to me, that the earth and the world will not be destroyed because whatever becomes one with God can never be destroyed because it's eternal. And once he became human as Christ and human, the whole material universe became holy because of what he is. So transformation is the right word here. And Integration into love is what is happening. So Christ is coming in in this time, and this is a, a new consciousness. And that's what we are experiencing. And because this transformation is universal and it's too big and too new, we don't understand and we are afraid. And that's why we have a lot of projection of fear. But based on what I received, I received the opposite of anything related to destruction or uh, uh, chaos or something like that. Um, Virgin Mary said to me very clearly, these are the time of my victory. She, She didn't say... My victory will be in the future or something like that. We are now in the time of the victory of love. So we
0: will see the heaven in the earth. I believe that too. But even now, destruction is taking place. Look at the Amazon rainforest not too far from you. And, you know, Bolsonaro's attitude toward it. Look what's happening in Australia with these fires. I'm I'm in communication with friends who have been on BatGap who had to evacuate their home. So on a local level, there's definitely destruction, and it's quite apocalyptic in some cases. The question, I guess, is how widespread will it become? If there's a huge increase in sea level, for instance, that could be really disruptive. If we go up two or three or four degrees Celsius in global temperatures, that will be extremely disruptive, and major cities will have to be evacuated. There's the ideal, which we'd like to arrive at, of heaven on Earth, but then there's the rearrangement of things that might have to take place before we arrive there.
1: Yeah, but it's all about relationship at the end of the day from my part of view. So what is happening based on what I received is that it shows that we need to change our relationship with the Earth and with Environment And that's what we are doing, because what you said is true, but also it's true that humanity never before experienced and manifest such love to the earth. This manifestation of love as well. So we are facing both. There are more people expressing their love to the earth. Every single day, more than ever before in humanity, we see the movement of Greta Thunberg or people like that. Greta Thunberg. Yeah, yeah, young people, even here in Buenos Aires, very aware of uh, loving the earth because they are the new beings, the new humanity. So it is true there is a transformation. But on the other side, we never saw People loving the Earth as much as we are facing
0: today that's a really good point and and it warms my heart to hear you say that and it's you know it's the kind of the hope that I live with, and I'll just rephrase it slightly, which is that you know yes, things seem to be on one level getting worse and worse and worse, and there's so many examples that we can cite, but on the other hand, there never before has been that we know of a um a mass awakening in 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 collective consciousness. As is, Absolutely. as is now taking place. And you don't really hear too much discussion of that when you hear people elaborating on the problems, because they don't really know that it's happening. But some of us know that it's happening. <laughs> and this whole show that I do is based upon the fact that it's happening. And so, in some way, which I don't completely understand the mechanics of, I think that this awakening that's taking place is nature's or God's antidote to the dire situation that we've gotten ourselves into.
1: Yeah, and everything comes to us to grow in terms of knowledge and expression of love. So we, of course, are accustomed to focus on the darkness, to heal the darkness. But there is another way, which is healing by walking through the light. So focusing as well in the light... I see a lot of light in that area. I see people helping dogs in the in the streets. New regulations, countries changing their law into, uh, you know, uh, like in Buenos Aires, for instance. Now they eliminated all zoos. Animals. Yeah. So animals can never be in jail anymore by law which is a big change to see the government dictating a law which protects the right of animals. Yeah, that's great. Now, in this country, as, as it happens in a lot of countries, you cannot hurt an animal with no punishment. And that's a big change. And I see a lot of light
0: on that. Well, you know, when you look at the nature of the problem, and specifically global warming, and you look at what has how it has been going with the, you know, fossil fuel companies, you see that the whole thing has been motivated, uh, to a great degree, by greed and short sightedness, short term profit, this quarterly, you know, your quarterly bottom line, as opposed to what the world might condition it might be in twenty, thirty, forty, fifty years from now, as if living as if there were no tomorrow. For instance, you know. Fossil fuel companies sit on five times the amount of carbon that we can afford to burn if we want to keep the global temperature under two degrees Celsius. And they fully intend to extract and burn it, which really can't happen. I mean, if it does happen, we're we're cooked. So the antidote, ultimately, is the opposite of greed and short-sightedness, which is love. Right,
1: (laughs) right. So I think the key message here is that the Earth and humanity is saying shouting that we all need to go back to love to survive. It's it's just a a matter of survival. And people know how to survive. And we will understand that the best way to survive is to love each other.
0: And not only to survive, but to thrive. Right. Thank you for that uh, clarification. Well, that might be a good place to wrap it up. That's kind of a positive note. Is there anything that we haven't discussed that you would like to discuss?
1: Love is so huge, so we can talk forever and ever uh, (laughs) if we want. And I really enjoyed this interview and I really would like to say thank you, Rick, for what you do. I really love uh, Buddha at the gas pump and I would like just to make one comment about that. During the manifestations, Jesus said to me that there would be expressions that will allow to show the different ways of expressing the same love. And I strongly believe you are doing that. And I really want to thank you for what you do, because love includes diversity. So we all talk about the same love in different ways. So I I really thank you for that.
0: Well, thank you. And that's definitely my feeling of the the diversity point you made, that They say diversity or variety is the spice of life, right? The more nourishing an environment is, the more diverse it is. Like if you go to the Amazon rainforest or refer to that again, it's a nourishing environment for life. So there's a huge diversity of plant and animal life, which you wouldn't find in the Sahara desert. So I just kind of feel like in the garden of God, so to speak, diversity is a natural expression. Having everything just be the same, one thing and and nothing else, is contrary to the way God rolls. I agree completely with you. So thank you for expressing that.
1: It's very needed and very appreciated.
0: Thank you. So um, I'll show the cover of your book here, Choose Only Love, and I'll have a link to it on your page on batgap.com. And it's the first of like five books or something, isn't it? Seven books. Seven books. And you're just continuing to receive these, and you'll keep putting them in book form and making them available.
1: Yeah, actually, now I'm receiving another book, which is going to be called From the Heart of Mary. And I know that I'm going to receive a second book after that, which is going to be called From the Heart of Jesus. And both
0: are going to be a unity. Great. And are they in Spanish as well as English? I imagine they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Yes. Good. All right. Well, thank you. And do you do anything in person with people or, you know, do you have Skype conversations? Do you teach retreats or anything like that or mainly just books? I do everything that the Spirit wants me to do. So
1: I do Skype with people. I'm open for retreats, actually the place where we are now in the island, as I talk in, in the beginning with you, it's conceived as a retreat center. Oh, nice. So I receive people. I talk to everyone who wants to talk with me through Skype, Zoom, personally. I go everywhere that needs me. I, I'm very open to that.
0: Great. So people oh. could probably through your website, it shows how to get in touch with you and people can do that Absolutely. if they want to. And it'll probably Absolutely. have a thing about your events if there are any events scheduled. Yeah. Great. Okay. Well, thanks, Sebastian. I have really enjoyed getting to meet you. I hope to meet you in person someday.
1: Thank you very much. And thank you for making me feel so comfortable. Vice versa. I feel
0: comfortable too. (laughs) (laughs) I love you, Rick. Love you too. Um, Thank you. And just to close, thanks to those who've been listening or watching. We will be now resuming our regular weekly session of recorded interviews. And so there'll be another one next week go to the upcoming interviews page on batgap.com if you'd like to see the schedule. And you can even sign up for a little thing to have it put into your calendar to give you a notification when when the interview is taking place. Okay. Thanks for listening and watching. See you next week. Thanks again, Sebastian. Love to you. Thank you.